Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Home and Away. I am Drew Vanderplug, joined once again by a jovial Cody Welton, as uh, Sporting is on two wins in a week. How I can't even believe I can't even believe last time that was the case. Like I, I have no idea when that would have been. We need to get uh, uh, Mike, uh, Encyclopedia Mike, on the on the case to see when was the last time we won twice in uh, in the span of seven days. It's pretty amazing. Uh, it's the, um, the, the Ricky Bobby gif. I am not sure what to do with yeah. my hands. Right. I mean, it feels it, good, man. It feels it so does. good. It does. It feels great. It does feel great. And we're on a little bit of an emotional high because, uh, sporting just absolutely pantsed union Omaha last night, uh, six to nothing in the open cup. Um, and things look to be, you know, progressing in sporting's favor to potentially do well, you know, like semifinals, obviously we'll get the draw tonight. I don't know if we'll know the draw before we get done recording tonight. If it happens, I will try to pump it into the end of the podcast, but um, that's seven 30 tonight is when they're doing the draw for the semifinal and the final as to who's hosting and um, you know, what that could look like. Um, sporting will be playing Sacramento Republic. We just don't know who is hosting that match and that will happen tonight. And then, um, if they were to get by Sacramento, it is, um, New York Red Bulls are in the semifinals. Right. And then Orlando Nashville has not played yet. Right. Is that tonight that they play? They play next week. Oh, they play next week. Okay. Yeah. Gotcha. So, um, if they were to beat Sacramento, they would get the winner of, the Red Bulls versus whoever wins between Orlando and Nashville. I'm, I'm hoping for Nashville again. You want Nashville again? Yeah, I do. You know I why? Because I, I would love to beat them for an Open Cup trophy um, and and listen to them whine about how they didn't get the World Cup. Uh, so well, that, that'd be great. Are, are they whining, or is it that one guy who seems to be like Nashville Kevin Keatsman? <laughs> it seems like every every city's got one, don't they? Ugh. They, but he's he's the epitome of yeah. Nashville Kevin Keatsman. Like when <laughs> he posted pictures of the of the NFL draft and of all the people milling around, he's like, "Look at all these people! You won't have that at your spot." Like, first of all, it's mostly indoors because it's a Union Station. Secondly, no, because we don't host bachelorette parties uh, in Union Station, so <laughs> which is probably half the attendance of that picture. But um, anyway, it, it 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 was funny to see a little bit of that. I um, I work with some folks that live in Nashville, and uh, they were not happy about that situation. Uh, made sure to let me know that they were not pleased about that. But it was the oh, first wow. time. It was the first time Nashville had lost a game at home in what twenty five games or something like that. So I mean, it, it, it good job on Sporting to get it done. I'm not sure it was representative of anything. No. Um, the sporting scored two goals on an XG of 0.4. Yeah. So let's like pump the brakes on it being some great performance. Nashville didn't have a ton of opportunities either other than the Ake Loba goal, which was created off of a bad turnover. We'll talk about that in a little bit, but other than that goal, they also had 0.4. It was going to be Vermees was playing for a zero zero. That's Mm -hmm. what was going on in that game. Um, And they got some lucky goals. I mean, Zussi's goal was absolutely fantastic. Like it was very well taken. It was, you know, from the Audi commercial and the Nate Bucati, uh, Zussi for president uh, call. It was almost a carbon copy of that goal, except for the fact that at least they, in that, in the 2018, they were providing some ball pressure 
<laughs> like Zissy, Zissy got the ball, got on the ball, and just looked around, and there's nobody, nobody trying to pressure the ball. And I'm like, you remember when Daniel Levitz was a guy that they were talking about might make the men's national team? Uh, I yeah, I remember that. And then we saw him play with the national team, and it was like, no, that's not that's no not the droids you're looking for. <laughs> no, that is these are not the droids you're looking for. And then you see him there, just sort of standing there watching Graham Zusi just, you know, <laughs> pick out a shot. I, and if you well, give that, Zusi that so, much time and space, he's going to do that. That is an example of you know. Um, we're, we're kind of uh, poking fun at the team maybe a little bit. And, the you know, yes, the goals are uh, were um, to some degree not repeatable um, uh, actions. But but the thing is that the team um, played well. Uh, even yep. even before the goals, the, the team was playing really well. Uh, their, their defensive shape was really solid. Um, they were really, really hard to play against. They were really hard to move uh, through. They made it really difficult for Nashville to do anything. And, and you know, Nashville – Nashville's system um, overloads the midfield. I mean, they play, you know, basically with, you know, five midfielders or three midfielders and two wingbacks, however you want to look at it. And, um, you know, our our, our midfield uh, trio, uh, I think, really did a, a really solid job of uh, keeping them from doing anything that they really wanted to do. And, um, and so that's, you know, uh, shout out to those guys because they did a fantastic job. Yeah, it was the return of the mid block. Right. Yeah. It was sort of that uh, the the mid block that we'd seen against Colorado. We've seen it a couple times. And, you know, we talked about this last week is is pragmatist Peter going to, you know, is is ideologue Peter going to like overcome pragmatist Peter? And it looked like he was very pragmatic in this game and understood oh, yeah. that his options from the attacking perspective were not great. And so we're going to be really pragmatic about how we how we approach this game. And it was very well it was it was a good performance uh, across the board as far as accomplishing the game plan yes we got yes we got some nice sort of maybe a little bit fluky goals a little bit nice goals um i will say that felipe hernandez's goal was driven the reason that goal gets by willis is because fontas is crashing and can easily redirect to the far post there if he is so willis has to watch fontas on that play and that's why that ball goes through and even fleet bay has said that he was on the sporting kc show this week he's like he's like i what they tell what i've been told over and over again and i think i forget which of his teammates told him to do this maybe it was remy but they said like just hit it on frame like hit it hard mm -hmm. on frame and like we'll do the rest like just well, the bounce, yeah. the bounce is important too. You know, yeah. I mean, uh, if he had if he had just put it on frame, it probably gets saved. Uh, but you know, uh, when you have all of that movement around uh, around the wall, and you know, players making runs like Fontas, and then you have the bounce, and um, and you know, whatever you know, whatever English the the is put on the ball by the bounce, it makes it even more difficult. And so, um, really. I mean, it's just an amazing uh, shot. And, you know, it's nice to see things go Kansas City's way. We don't see it just seems like those kind of cool things happen to other teams and uh, and they don't often happen to uh, sporting Kansas City. Um, you know, it seems like we have to oftentimes work really, really hard for uh, the goals that we get. And so, you know, it's uh, it's OK to be lucky sometimes. And the the I, I don't think that the goal was undeserved. It was no, just it was just a low probability. Yeah. Of a goal, right? 
And those are going to happen for you sometime. And maybe that's what they need is a couple of those to go in. And then they go off against Omaha and they gain some confidence. Like, I don't know that we can take a much away from those games as far as the goals that were scored and how they were scored and whether it's repeatable. But what I can say is, is that getting eight goals in two games and, and two wins will help a team feel like they can do those kinds of things and will yeah. make them more confident in taking those kinds of chances in the future. And that is ap- absolutely something that can help the performance of the team. Um, in the post game, in the post game last night, you know, um, um, you know, after the the Open Cup game, uh, Fermi's talked a lot about you know players, you know, being in rhythm, um, and players, um, yeah, you know, being um, sort of in 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 the flow of the game, and that you know takes a lot of, you know, it takes playing with familiar people, and it takes a couple of games consistently. Um, you know, having the same people around you doing the same sorts of things in order to really sort of to to get that sort of flow. And, you know, he talked about it, you know, specifically with regards to a few different players. But but I think that, that it really, you know, it's it's a team thing, too. And and so, um, you know, it, it, it helps to have a little bit of a. Uh, uh, a good mojo, you know, going in, yeah. you know, regardless of how, regardless of, of, of how the results were won, uh, a win's a win and, and two wins is pretty great. It is. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not like bagging the performance in any way. I just want to make sure that we're also tempering our expectations going to Seattle this weekend totally. um, against a team that is quite good. Yeah, um, you know, I, I'm expecting the team to play very, very well in Seattle. But you know, I would, you know, Seattle's really a great team, and so I wouldn't be surprised if they lose. Um, and I don't think anybody should be surprised if they lose. But, uh, but you know, I think that given the past, you know, uh, even even before you know these two games, the past string of performances, you know, there there is some movement sort of in in I think the right direction. I've been barely. Um okay and to happy with the the play and the organization of most of the team for the past six weeks um there have been a couple players who have made significant mistakes that we have talked about ad nauseum on this podcast so Mm -hmm. i'm not gonna do it again that have caused problems of significance um and they haven't attributed positive events to overcome the fact that they've made mistakes. Yeah. Um, and that, you know, has me frustrated because I feel like there are other players who are at least doing other positives if they're making a mistake or two every time. We'll talk about Cameron Duke a little bit later as well. Um, the well thing I, that I, you- still, I still feel like the, the, personally, I feel like the ceiling of the team is still pretty low. Sure. Um, but, but, you know, I, they're they're not a complete disaster like they were you know a month ago um and you know a lot of that has to do with getting you know some some uh people back from injuries and whatnot and and honestly uh, uh, you know one of the biggest one of the biggest factors and and things to be optimistic about is you know sort of the settling of the midfield and if this midfield if we can keep this midfield on the field uh and playing together um i think that that that's definitely something to build around so that was that was going to be my next point. Is that you you discussed the fact that some players are playing together. You talked about in Nashville the fact that the midfield really maintained good control. 
Yeah. Um, given the fact that Nashville will try to dominate you in the midfield, our midfield three did a very good job of maintaining control. And um, I've said this to you a number of times that, you know, while Remy Voltaire may not nominally be a defensive midfielder as his best position, he is obviously a better defensive midfielder for this team to be successful in what they're trying to do than Udi Rossell. It's yeah. it's I don't know that it's even close based on the last couple of games that I've watched. Um they they do different things. Um and I wouldn't say that Remy is as aggressive of a defender as Uri is and he's he's not going to make recovery defensive interventions the way that Uri does. But he's a much better ball progressor and he's much more the word that I'm looking for. He's um, he's much more positionally aware, and it's just like let me put it this way: if you look, we've talked about this over and over again, and obviously this is a podcast medium, so it's difficult to sort of describe this um, if you're not looking at it. But we've talked over and over about how the passing maps and the average positions of players have looked kind of ridiculous for a lot of the season. The last two games. Take a look and go to MLSsoccer.com and take a look at the passing maps of the last two games because it's it's there for the U.S. Open Cup game as well. So Nashville and the U.S. Open Cup. And you actually see a group of players in a shape that makes sense. Yeah. So that's – and, like, that is really important. And I, I think that um, – I think that, that especially given um, – you know, the style and the system that the team plays, um, it, it lends it even more importance. But if you look, um, um, and I don't remember who released it, uh, it, it was all over Twitter um, uh, a couple weeks ago, but there was a, a, there was basically a, you know, a grid of passing maps of like the, uh, the season average passing maps for every uh, Premier League team. And the teams at the top had really uh, well-balanced, very defined shapes. Um, you know, these are teams like Liverpool and Man City, who we've talked about a lot on this podcast. And, and, um, um, and so like, I think that, that, you know, especially when you talk about, uh, possessing the ball and then using your position, um, off the ball to, to, uh, counter press and to control the game. I think that, um, shape matters so much and just having that sort of like solid base to work from I mean we gripe sometimes that that you know some of the sometimes it seems like you know especially the eights don't have you know a lot of uh, a lot of freedom um, get because of of the the structure of this system but when it works it works really well it does and I, I want to be clear when you look at this the position of the six in the, these passing maps comparatively is not that different, but the positioning of everyone else is different. And I, I you're going to be like, well, what does that have to do with who's playing the six? The six, as Cody has talked about so much in this, uh, in this podcast over the past six months is so important to how this team distributes the ball. It it's, just a, a primary, primary position on the field for this system. And when you have a per, when you have a person playing this role that understands where the ball is supposed to go in certain circumstances, all of a sudden no one has to collapse to them. 
And that's what you're seeing. It's the sort of soccer as dominoes corollary. What was happening is, is a lot of people, I remember we would see passing maps where, especially earlier in the season when Roger was playing a lot, he would be playing on the left and you would see him and Uri and Shallowy yeah. all on the same spot. Yep. Right about the half line on the left. And it's like three guys collapsed together because that player is not progressing the ball out of that position in the right way. So people have to come to him and it creates a situation where the average position of guys is not, you're not getting the space and the spread that you need. Um, so much of soccer is, is, is taking advantage of space. And when you have three guys in the same area all the time, because the one guy can't use, can't put them into space himself. It's a problem. And that's where you get these weird collapsing maps that don't look, they don't make much sense. The last two weeks, the passing map, the average position, it looks like a structure that makes sense. Against Omaha, Kyrie was dropping deeper a little bit more. So you're seeing a little bit of a difference there. But otherwise, it looks like a 4-3-3. Yeah. It, it looks like that. And we haven't seen that in a while. Um, and so, you know, I'm just hopeful that the coach is seeing this. I, I know that he believes that Remy is more, he, he adds more higher up the field as a player than he does at the six. And I don't know that I totally debate that, but it takes so much away from the team when someone else is playing the six. Maybe it well, wouldn't I, if Felipe was playing it, I, I, but I just don't see Peter making that change given no, doesn't how seem like that's going to happen. Well, and the other thing is, is Felipe has been great as a free yeah. eight. Like I, yeah, he's he been really so has. good at it that I don't know that I would make that change either. Yeah. And so, and you honestly, I would be, I'm okay with someone that's a little bit more of a veteran and is a little bit more positionally secure playing that position. Um, it, it's fine with me. And I don't feel like Remy is going to be mad if he's playing the six every time. Like if he's starting every game, I don't think he's going to get mad about it. I've just been very, very happy with the midfield performance for the past two games. And obviously there's a lot of circumstances surrounding both of them, but the first game against Nashville, you would have expected it had been really difficult on the midfield. And they did not get pushed around. They had pretty good control. Remy playing the six. Uh, I mean, I think that really depends on um, on you know how how well uh, Peter feels that uh, uh, Cam Duke is playing. So you know, if Duke is if Duke is playing um, um, positionally sound and making a positive impact and limiting his his sloppiness and mistakes, which has kind of been a, a little bit of a problem for him. Um, I think that there's no reason, you know, you know, Vermes has shown that he'll ride the hot hand and there's no reason to expect that he wouldn't continue uh, rolling with this group of players. And, you know, but, but, you know, uh, Vermes, had, uh, you know, also has shown that he doesn't necessarily give young players uh, that long of a leash. And so, you know, I think that it, you know, you know, he, I, uh, I think justifiably um, pulled um, Duke in the Nashville game. Um, Duke had had, a, I thought, a pretty solid game up until uh, up until a few mistakes, and then uh, and then he just seemed to really kind of start to try too hard uh, and um, and get out of position and make some questionable tackles and and those sorts of things and and um, and so I think I think wisely he was pulled out. But I mean, there, but but then you know he started last night um, in the Open Cup game, and you know there were times when I thought he looked like the best player on the pitch, and so. 
um, that's, you know, that's, that's great. That's, you know, we just want him to be that player uh, more consistently. As we've said on this podcast on, I don't know how many occasions with young kids, you have to keep putting them out there. So they learn how to recover from mistakes so that they learn how to eliminate mistakes. So they learn how to build the consistency of play that you want from them. He just turned 21. Like, He's going to be inconsistent. It's going to happen. But his talent is obviously high. Oh, he got um, to play striker slash false nine last night. Yeah, he did. So he he did. another. He, another, he checked uh, another position, position off. Yeah. He hasn't. He hasn't played um, the six or either center back position yet. So those are the only outfield <laughs> positions he hasn't played yet this year. But I, I. But seriously, like he, I, he did have another hospital ball giveaway in this game. He did. Um, the, the, the against Nashville wasn't a hospital ball; it was just a terrible pass. Yeah. The against Union Omaha, it was a hospital ball. That's why it, it was, was to no one. It was really bizarre. I, I, yeah, I was, it, it, had, it had. Well, I think he was trying to pass back, but had zero pace on it. So yeah, yeah it was just. So we've got to eliminate some of those. But you're right. Like against Nashville, up until he made the turnover, he played extremely well. And so yeah, as the coaches, it's the coach's job to continue to capitalize on that good performance and then understand when it's time to pull them off. I think that the best part of this season to me has been how many people have had to play. Vermes has been forced to put guys in games and he has a much better feeling of what they're capable of as a result. I don't think if Polito and Kinda aren't hurt, we don't know any of this stuff about Hernandez and yep. Duke right now. For the first time in a long time, you get a feeling like you know, like, like the entire the entire eighteen, the entire game day roster. Like these are all people who have played. You know, sort of what they're capable of in an actual MLS game. We've by now seen just about everybody uh, play, uh, and so it's um, you know I, that's just something that, that it, it just doesn't. It's not a thing that happened a lot in the in past years, you know. I mean, you know that was that was one of the big um, um, criticisms that you know I had of the team is that you know we 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 play great all year long and then you know people would start dropping off to injuries and everything and uh, uh, during the sort of playoff push and then and then you know for the playoff push and the playoffs you'd be relying on 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 people you know who hadn't really had a chance to play all all summer because you know they were never subbed in, you know? And so that's, you wind up with, you know, guys like Kevin Oliveira starting in a, in, in an important match. And that doesn't, you know, it didn't work and it doesn't work. So that I agree with you. It's a, it's a good thing that, that um, we're using our depth. And it was needed because some of those guys knocked some, you know, inconsistencies off in that time mm-hmm. frame. Uh, Felipe Hernandez was rusty at the beginning of this season. And it, yeah. I mean, to be to be fair, you know, it's not surprising. He hadn't really been with the club since May of last year. He came, you know, came into preseason, but that was it. And so, of course, like he was playing himself into the team in May before all of this stuff happened. And then now here he is again. And you can see with a run of games together, he's really good. Yeah. Like he's a really good player. 
Um, and, and you know, the thing is, and this is the thing that, that Duke is, is still trying to, I think, work on is, is uh, Felipe is good, but he is consistently good also. Like he is the, you know what you're going to get every time he steps on the field. And, you know, Duke's, I think, gotten better, but he's still kind of a little bit of an inconsistent player and, uh, and he needs to tighten that up a little bit. But, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm really high on Duke. I think that he, um, I think that he is a really uh, important player or he could be a really important player. And I think that he has actually a, a, a pretty high ceiling. He's definitely got the highest ceiling of any of these young guys that are playing. Well, I mean, maybe not than in Denbe or Chinese or something like that. I don't know. He and Chinese, I don't know. I don't know that Duke's ceiling is lower than Chinese's is, but maybe not as high as in Denbe. I think in Denbe is going to get sold at some point for a lot of money. But um, I think that um, you're right that he has a higher ceiling than Felipe does. But here's the thing. If Felipe is a center midfielder for the sporting for the next 10 years, I'm good with that. Totally. I mean, I just, I love his game. I love how he plays. He's like Raj, but with finishing touch, mm-hmm. it's on his engine is unreal. You, we, we've talked about this a number of times, how it's like super hot. And it's the 90th minute. And he's still running. Like it's the first minute he did that against Omaha last night. Yeah. I watched him yeah, chase yeah. one down <laughs> in the 85th yeah. minute. Uh-huh. And he, He's not messing up. Well, he got those two goals at the end of the game from exactly yeah. that. Like he never quits running. You're He's squashing. Always- you're squashing this like you know team that's two divisions lower than you, and like there's no let up. He is just sprinting and pressing the whole time. He's an animal. It's great. It's fun to watch. Um, I we haven't had players fun fun players like this. You know, young, fun players like this. Like, you and I are big Busio fans, but Busio's not this kind of guy. He, no. you know, Busio's a touch and, like, he's a soccer nerd kind of player. Like, if you're a big soccer nerd, you kind of like his style. Felipe is, like, it's not hard to see on the field what he's doing. And um, it's, I love watching him play. And, like I said, set piece delivery is great. His free kick taking is great. He's got finishing touch. We've seen it. Like, I just... Um, he's got three goals and an assist in the last two games now. So it's just, I mean, I am, I, I'm, he looks back, he's actually in better shape than he was in May of last year. Like, that's what I was hoping that we would get is that guy. And I was a little concerned for the beginning of the season because he was kind of rusty and he wasn't that guy. And he definitely is now. And yeah. I actually saw something, I was, you know, doing research for, for the pod. He's actually played every single MLS match this year. He's not started all of them, but he has right. played in every single match. The only other, there's two other play two other people that have done that. Um, it's Melia and Johnny. That's it. Yeah, I mean it's clear that uh, it's you know it's clear that that by now like he's one of he's one of uh, Peter Vermes' guys, which means he's he's you know he, mostly undroppable. Um, yeah. And Which is good. It's good. It's great. good that we yeah. have a 24-year-old midfielder that's, that's undroppable. That's the key. That's we, the key. We, <laughs> we haven't had that before. And sorry, yep. it's Remy and uh, and Belia that have played 17 games other than other than 
Yeah, but well, I mean, Remy, but, Remy's right there, right? I mean, Remy, mm. Remy is also an animal. I mean, these are guys that just run, 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 run all the time, and uh, that's one of the things that that uh, Vermes values, and uh, that's one of the things that really makes the the system tick. Uh, that's you know one of the reasons that the team was so successful and and won an MLS Cup and and multiple Open Cups back when Roger was younger. Um, is is because that was Roger, right? Just run, run, run all the time, run people into the ground. And, you know, you don't have to be, you don't have to be an ultra sort of, you know, an ultra creative uh, presence in the midfield or a goal scorer in the midfield if you just run down every ball and funnel it out to people who, uh, who can do that job for you. Well, and it's and I want I don't want to make Felipe sound like just a guy who covers ground. He's a really yeah, good technical well, player. That's well, you you I think you made that point that that's like that's the progression. He is not Roger in that respect, right? He is he is uh, a more technical player than Roger. He's a better finisher than Roger. Uh, he's I don't I don't he I, I don't know. I kind of think that maybe both of them are are somewhat equal in terms of their you know their passing and their ability to you yeah. know see key passes. Um, but um, I, he's I think, a really good combo player. Did you see him combining on the right side yeah. with Zussi and Russell against mm-hmm. Nashville? I saw a lot of really good combination play. In fact, a lot of Sporting's offense against Nashville came up the right side between those three. And yeah. that was sort of eye-opening to me. And then you saw him start on the right again against Omaha. He had been on the left a lot, and he started on the right in both of those games. And I think his combination you know, the successfulness of his combination with Pierre was a little different because Pierre is a completely different player than, than Zussi is, but they still had, if you look at the passing map, they had a ton of connection amongst those three. And historically that's the left side of the formation where you see that stuff happening. And in these two games, you saw it happening on both sides of the field. And I think that that is another thing that's going to make sporting much more dangerous long-term is if they're not one dimensional in their attack. And um, getting Johnny activated in that type of same scenario is actually a really good positive that I've seen out of the last two games. Even if Johnny didn't score, he was extremely involved in yeah. everything that was going on. Well, and I think that that's, um, I think that that's uh, part of the team sort of, you know, starting to, to, to gel a little bit. It's just that realization that, you know, this team is not really ever going to be a team that attacks through the center of the pitch that's that's really not um that's really not this team's strong suit the the, the team's creative players and and the system uh you know focus on you know overloading the wings and combination play on the wings and so having players like Duke on the left and Hernandez on the right who uh, who excel at that and then having a player like um like Remy in the middle, who can cover a lot of ground and um, and and make you know make the middle his own. Um, uh, I, I mean, that's a recipe for success, you know. And you can see, like, if you if you look at the heat map for the for the Nashville game, there's like um, you know there's a huge there's a huge donut. Right. There's a there's a space where like nobody's touching the ball. That's not a bad thing, you know, necessarily uh, for a lot of teams. Maybe it would be. But, you know, to me, that means that that we're we're receiving the ball in our own half and we're funneling it out to the wings and that all the attacking is happening on the wings. And, you know, if you lose the ball on the wings, it's a lot easier to counterpress, um, you know, with with, you know, 
uh, uh, using a sideline as an extra defender um, um, and and to win the ball back quickly that way. So, um, yeah, I think, you know, I think that, you know, it, it bodes well for the future of the attack, especially that, um, um, you know, that we have that we've found a little bit of success with with, with Duke uh, on the left and uh, Felipe on the right. Yeah, I know. I did actually see that little donut and I was thinking about it and I was like, I'm not as concerned about it because the color of the heat map on the out, outer edges of that donut were was really bright. You know what I mean? So there was a lot of a lot of touches and, and um, interaction happening. It was just not in that exact space and against a team that had that is flooding the midfield like that going around the sides is actually probably a good idea. Yeah. Yeah, right? why would you? Why would you? Why would you try and go up against that? Just yeah, go around it. Get wide so, so, against the back three. That's a really good idea. I'm gonna really be keeping an eye out in the future on this, like this idea that, that um, you know maybe that that Duke on the left and Felipe on the right um, is is an important key to unlocking, you know, um, you know the right sided attack and making sort of the whole attack a little bit more balanced because you know I think that. You know, last year and this year, especially like, you know, the attack has been so left sided. It's just always down the left. So it's, it's very predictable. And, and it's good because, you know, we have we have some skill and and speed and, you know, shallow is amazing. And and getting that, you know, attack down on the left, you know, helps isolate Russell on the right. But if we can if we can be able to do that on both sides of the field, um, that might um, that might be uh, the key to, to really, um, you know, raising the ceiling of the team well and the other problem is, is that if you're doing that and you get russell free on the right and you can't actually make the switch yeah then what's the point he's just sitting there by himself yeah um so well, that's the other thing need... too is if you look at if you look at like remy's passes like he's not i mean he, he's not making you know he, he's not making passes even to even to the other midfielders his passes are to wide fullbacks right and um and so it, that seems to be like, you know, a concerted thing that they're trying to do is just, you know, you have him playing in the middle and he's just and he's just funneling out wide to the to the fullbacks. And then the fullbacks are combining with the the the, the eight on their side and the the um, um, the wide forward uh, in order to, to sort of, you know, make something happen. It's not super complicated. But I don't know that it needs to be complicated, especially with this group of players. Just get them the partnerships. They're good enough yeah. to to use that at that point. And they're dynamic enough. This is a thing that sporting hasn't had in a while, uh, where you have players that can dribble by somebody in that circumstance, right? And Denbe is exceptional at this. There's um, Shallowy obviously can do this. Duke can do this. He pushes by somebody really well. Felipe, yeah. a little bit, um, but even still, he understands He understands how to release the pass to his winger and make the run right afterward, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And go by the guy. Yeah. So, like, it's really just they're, they're so dynamic in what they're able to do. And then you have Zussi, who literally can shoot from anywhere, as we know, and can distribute. He's probably the most technical player on the team. I've said this for years. Zussi has the best touch that I've, one of the best touches I've ever seen. And he's an extremely technical player. And so to have that as your right back, just sort of hanging out at the top, you know, 25 yards from the, from the goal of the top corner of the box. Like there's just, there's some dynamism that these guys can sort of put to play that it sounds simple to just kind of have these triangles on either side of the field, but no, there's more to it with, 
how they add their personal touch to how they play on top of it that make can make them dangerous. And to your point, if it's balanced, it's much harder to defend. Um, you can't you can't just put four guys over on the left side anymore because you have a midfielder on the right that can really do damage to you. And yeah. that happens. So which is like that's you know just. I can't say it enough. Like that is where the creativity happens um, in the system, right? We don't have uh, like a, a roaming number ten like Reynoso from Minnesota, who's like pulling strings and putting you know people into the box. That's not that's not going to happen. And we don't have the we don't have the striker who could finish those anyway. And so um, so it you know it makes sense to to and, and it seems like we have another winger coming in anyway so so it makes sense to really um you know to really keep an eye on 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 those positions and to and to look to develop a, a better partnership on the right so that we can kind of balance things out a little bit and and make our attack less predictable because i mean really that, that's kind of what it boils down to right is that uh is that you know if you're always attacking down the left you're and and trying to you know switch to um, uh, a wide open Johnny Russell. I mean, that's just a, that's too predictable. And so, you know, developing, you know, an, an, another thing that can help um, keep defenses uh, on their heels is I think really, really important. Well, and that's why the team has struggled to create consistent chances. Yeah. Well, we so, don't, we don't, we don't have a player who can create chances out of anything, right. Out, out of nothing. Um, we have, we have to, this team has to uh, create chances using the system. That's just that's the way. It well, is. it's but it's not set up for a creative midfielder to create right. chances. Right, that's right. not what that that to your exact point earlier. Yeah. The way that the system is created and why we play wide is because when you do that, that's how you can create chances from wide, and it also allows you to have a really good rest defensive shape. So if you lose the ball, you're in really good cover. And you can counterpress and turn it back over and go back to what you were doing. In fact, you can take advantage of that turnover moment and the and the chaos that comes from it because you have sort of chaos agents at those places. Um, it's not a get a guy on the ball and allow him to pick out a pass situation. That's not yeah. how they play. But And that's fine. There's just different strokes, right? There's just different ways of doing it. The thing that was interesting, so you brought this up, and so maybe it's time to talk about this. So a couple of these signings are now official. We talked about this last week. So William Magada, the Nigerian striker that's been playing in Israel, is officially you know coming to sporting. Um, and then Eric Tommy, the um, to your to your description, winger, maybe attacking midfielder, um, <laughs> from from Germany, has been officially signed. Um, the first thing I want to cover with Agata is just uh, one, how he describes his own play. Um, he there's an article there's an article on both of these guys in the Kansas City Star by Daniel Sperry. I'm not going to just you know plagiarize his whole article. Go read it and you know pay for your local journalism to do so. Um, Since he, he hosted, helped you host one time. Aren't you allowed to? Just plagiarize, plagiarize some of it. Yeah. I mean, I guess so. But I mean, if, but, if, if you're not allowed to do that, then you fail to stipulate that in the contract. <laughs> I mean, he did. He did join the podcast for free. So what a nice guy. I mean, anyway, he uh, the the quote and I'm paraphrasing was along the lines of the fact that Tommy does uh, or excuse me, Tommy, William Magada, he sees himself as a as a. You know, a real center forward who really enjoys looking for and finding space. And 
man, do we need a center forward that does those things. So Mm -hmm. hopefully what he's saying is accurate because I think he would be a very good fit in those circumstances. Um, And he likes to run into the box and he likes to find space. That's what he said. So it's very asking him if he'll make near post and and far post (laughs) runs. I mean, I, I, I did not, I don't know if that, I don't believe that Sperry actually talked to him. I think the interview in both cases was with Nate Katie. So um, he didn't really get to talk to him himself. I'm sure that'll come soon when he actually gets with the team. Hopefully his visa doesn't take three months. Um, Mm. Anyway, um, the thing I found interesting about the Agata uh, release was, uh, and I'm doing a whole lot of like assumptive reading between the lines here. Um, But Agata was going to have to, was, was, going to need a transfer fee of some kind because he was not out of contract in Jerusalem. So he had a year left on his deal at Apoel Jerusalem. So they had to pay a transfer fee to get him. Um, but as I've talked about on the pod earlier, uh, you know, several podcasts ago, Sporting did have some flexibility this year with their allocation money and whatnot to make some moves in the window, and they have. Um but I don't know what that flexibility looks like in the future or what they want to do in the winter as far as adding players. So it's really interesting to see how this, they, it is a, uh, it is contract through next year with two option years. And this sounds a lot to me like Vermees did a Joao Paulo with this. So you remember I was telling you about this, about how Seattle was able to sign Albert Rusnak. Mm-hmm. They had Joao Paulo on a deal where only the first two deal first two years were guaranteed. So that is the that is the term upon which his transfer fee is prorated over his contract. So what's going to happen here is Agata's transfer fee charge is only going to happen through next year. And then 2024, 2025 are um, option years. And you know what? I even need to think. I look. At, I need to look at it now. It might even be. It's only through this year, and the next two are option years. It's something like that. It's something crazy where they made sure to get his transfer fee on the books real early, so that they could get it off the books, and he could just be on salary only when he gets to his option years. And if he plays really well, you just extend his contract and you take all that stuff off. But um, I, my expectation that the that he's coming from the Israeli league and being you know, playing for a team that just got promoted and almost got relegated again and being loaned to a team that almost got relegated from the Israeli league. We're not talking about a guy that's making a pile of money salary wise. So you get all that stuff off the books up front. And then all you've got to deal with is a salary in the future. It just gives you that much more flexibility to sign more players in the future. So I thought that part of it was interesting. Again, this is salary cap nerd drew just sort of like looking at, you know, the potential impacts of some of this stuff. And I think that they have the ability to keep him on the team at fairly limited impact to the salary cap in the future. Um, Eric Tommy, that guy's going to be making a bunch of money. This guy is a Bundesliga veteran. He hasn't played a ton in the last few years. Um, some of it has been injury-related. Um, some of it is just that you know he he was good enough to be on a Bundesliga team, but not to start regularly for one. Um, I saw a note from Chad Smith that he hasn't actually um, played 90 minutes in a game in four years. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Sorry. Yeah, I mean, 
<laughs> Welcome to Kansas City in uh, July, brother. Yeah. Woo. I mean, I don't know. I don't know that it's a situation where it's like, I don't read that as a fitness problem. I just read that as a, he's like Joe Scally. He's a, he's a, he's a good enough player to be on a Bundesliga team, but not necessarily good enough to be starting and playing 90 all the time. That That's yeah, how but, I read but, it. But it, but it is, but it is, I mean, at least for, for Vermes and for MLS, I mean, it's a, it is a fitness issue too. I mean, you know, uh, playing 90 minutes um, and especially playing 90 and, and um, you know, in a place like Kansas city in the summer or Houston, any time of the year, or, you know, Denver. I mean, those are challenging, challenging situations. And so uh, this is not to say that he won't be successful, but I think, you know, temper uh, expectations, maybe a, a tad. My thought on it was he is an additive player to a front line that where we need additional help. So if he's only playing 60 minutes, I really don't care. You know what I mean? Like I, I I'm in a position where now you have, um, you have Agata, Shelton, Chanice, Shallowy, Russell, and Tommy, all capable of playing on that front line. If he's only a 60-minute player, that's fine. Yeah. I, I'm okay with that. Or if he's deputizing and they go to a 4-2-3-1 and, um, and he plays at the 10 in that circumstance and he does the Chinese-style kind of thing where he plays at the 10. And Chinese is not really a 10. Um but I understand why you put him there. If he's doing those kinds of things, I'm fine with that. Like what this team needs, what we've asked for, we asked for it at the beginning of this season. And obviously most of us were asking for it at the end of last season and, and for several seasons is the ability to bring in a game changer at the end of the game. So if that's Tommy starting and then shallowy comes on for the last half an hour, or if it's Tommy coming on for the last half an hour, or if it's Chinese doing that, like, that is the kind of stuff that this team has needed forever. And it feels like some of that is starting to occur, at least from a personnel standpoint. I don't know if this guy's any good or not. I, I would assume that given that they're probably paying him a fair salary. Like this is a real TAM player that they're paying. And then to get him out of the Bundesliga at 27 to come to the U.S. to play in Kansas City, he's getting paid. Yeah. Um, the real, But the thing is, is that he's probably a good player for them to make that investment. And this is just, this is additive to the team as a, as an aggregate, like we're going to play Seattle this weekend and they're going to bring on Freddie Montero and they're going to bring on, you know, they'll have, um, they'll bring on, you know, um, Jimmy Madronda and they'll bring on, you know, different players who have an ability to impact a game. And we don't really have that right now. Like, even in the bench against Omaha, like, Chinese was the only attacking player on the bench. They made three defensive subs. But Logan and Denbe at right wing. <laughs> so, like, we need players like this. If he's 90 minutes fit or not, I'm not sure is relevant. Yeah, you know, and, and the thing is, is that, um, you know, I think the last couple of weeks have uh, – have shown that you and I were uh, sort of on the right track with, you know, maybe thinking that that 
Roger should move to uh, to an impact sub position as well, right? I mean, because you have a player who you can bring on, and you know he's been he's been impactful and energetic in the times when he's come on in the last few weeks, and and um, you know if you if you extend that, and then you have you know more than one sort of you know player who's a veteran and who uh, who can come on and make an impact. Um, I think that that uh, I. I I can see your your point and kind of agree with your way of thinking. So let's, uh, you know, let's hope that that comes to happen. Yeah. So the only thing I will say uh, that that's left on this sort of our, you know, on the summer transfer window topic, there was some conversation about whether another player is coming in. I think Vermes said so. Said Vermes said it? I don't know if Vermes said it. I think Nate said it on the broadcast. Yeah, Nate said something on the broadcast against Nashville that there could be a third edition coming. Um, a couple of things that I would just say about that. One, based on my spreadsheet math on where they have, would have to spend in my expected sort of compensation for Eric Tommy and what Agata's deal looks like, I would be pretty surprised to see another player from a cash flow perspective, they could. It's not that they couldn't do it. Um, I don't think they spent the Busio Gam incomplete yet. I don't think they even spent it last year. I don't think they spent any of it last year. So there's a million there. They probably have about. A, they had about a million left. So there, there, there's some maneuvering there from that perspective. Um, but the, the the significant issue is they don't have any senior roster spots left. So they've all 20 senior roster spots have been used. All eight international roster spots have been used. So if they're going to do this, it either has to be an American or someone with a green card, et cetera, like you're trading within the league for somebody, or you're using some of that game to trade for an international roster spot, or and and you're putting Polito on the season-ending injury list. So he's not on there currently. I was incorrect earlier this year when I thought he would have to come on it to get an international roster spot. I had totally missed a fact, and so did Mike Kuhn, so I don't feel so bad that I missed it. Um, Mike doesn't miss much, so for me to miss something uh, that he missed, I don't feel so bad. But apparently, Pulido did get his green card right before the roster compliance deadline, so he is not occupying an international roster spot. So you would need to put him on the season-ending injury list to get the senior roster spot back to be able to bring someone in. Um Unless it's someone from within the league that qualifies for a supplemental spot, but at that point, like who who are you bringing in that's going to be that significant of an addition, right? Yeah. So if you're thinking about a really like significant addition to the team, you'd have to find a way to get an international roster spot from somebody. Those go for about 175 grand in GAM, and they probably need to be out of contract wherever they are, um, because you're not going to pay a transfer fee. You can't afford that plus the salary. So. It would be pretty tight from a just salary mechanism, roster management mechanism perspective for them to bring somebody in. Impossible? No. A little tight. So if there's somebody coming, I'd be surprised if it was someone significantly impactful unless they send Vunjevic back to Slovenia. Who? Vunjevic. Yeah. <laughs> but the problem is, is he's injured. So I don't even know what that means. Like there might be yeah. some stuff about whether or not they're even capable. Of is that, that. Do you know, have you heard a timetable for his return? Is there any, he went from questionable to out. He was like questionable. Yeah. He went from questionable against Nashville to out versus uh, Omaha. So I, 
I have not heard anything. I, they haven't really talked about it. I, I don't know that it makes much difference, to be honest. I, I don't know that he was the right addition. I think, to as we've discussed multiple times, he was a knee-jerk reaction to some stuff they didn't expect they need to do. So, anyway, um, what else do we need to talk about? So, this is something that, that Mike Kuhn did bring up um, on Twitter this week, and it's something we've sort of hinted at a little bit. Um, Tim Mealy is not having a great year. And, and I, when I say not having a great year, I'm being really, really kind. He is kind of having a garbage year. He's one of the the worst goalkeepers in the league. Yeah. Statistically. Statistically, he is one of the worst goalkeepers in the league. Um, I don't uh, like, if you look at his, XG versus XGA. If you look at his, if you if you go to analysis evolve and look at his G plus, it's terrible. Like everything about his statistical performance is really bad. Um, as I communicated with Mike on Twitter this week, I don't know that I when I watch him play, I see like it's not like he's giving up massive howlers. the The game against Chicago, he let a couple under his body. Those were bad. That was right at the beginning of the season. But for the most part, that's not what I see happening. He's just not he, – he, I think that one of Melia's um, extremely positive capabilities as a goalkeeper for sporting was his ability to close someone down quickly. And that has to be the thing that goes away first as you age. And to Mike's point, Dude's going to be older than Jimmy Nielsen at the end was at the end of his last season at the end of this mm-hmm. year. And he will be the oldest sporting Kansas city player to play a game other than Precky and Mo Johnston at mm-hmm. the end of this season. Now I know Gigi Buffon was still doing it when he was 40 or 41 or whatever. And I understand goalkeeper stuff's a little bit different. I know, you know, Tim Howard was in his forties when he was in, in Colorado. Right. Um, I don't know that he was fantastic in Colorado when he was in his forties, but he was there. Um, I'm just for the paycheck, man. <laughs> no, he was getting paid too. I mean, good for him. But and actually, Tim Howard. Side note, has been an absolute revelation at NBC Sports doing Premier League coverage. I was not sure about how that was going to go. I did not like him at Turner at all, and then he's been actually quite good for them. When he first started broadcasting, I thought he was just terrible. Like, Same. you know, he every everything out of his mouth was just the the most like trite, contrived, you know, just ridiculous, you know. <laughs> and he it's something he pulled from like FIFA or something, right? It's just these canned response, these canned lines, these canned, you know, uh, responses to questions, and and um, he has really turned that around. And he's been he's he was really great this year, really yeah. great. I was not enthusiastic when he replaced Kyle Martino at NBC Sports. I, no. I really liked Kyle great. quite a bit, and yeah. I was not really enthusiastic. And it was a little rough for the first month or so, but he's. The, NBC Sports just does the best soccer coverage in the country. There's no, there's no comparison to it, and they, um, they obviously have good producers that are working with him to get his stuff right because he's been great, been great this year. So anyway, we digress. Um, Maybe hopefully Apple will hire away all, just steal all of their all uh, of their talent. Yeah. <laughs> Our good friend Andy Edwards is like, yeah, I'll take a paycheck. 
I'll go yeah. work for Apple. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, um, the the thing that I was saying is like I it's it's reasonable to start asking the question: Are we seeing the you know Father Time is undefeated situation happening to Amelia? Yeah, I mean, I I think that he he's different from he's different from players like Nielsen and um, um, and like Tim Howard and Buffon. I mean, obviously he's not on the on the on that level, but you know he's different from those guys in that so much of the thing that made him um, successful and also a really good fit for this team is you know that ability to come out and uh, and come off his line, diagnose. You know, um, w- when we talk about you know the team being susceptible to counterattacks, well, that's part of it, right? Is is having um, a, a keeper part of part of part of what kept us from being susceptible to counterattacks is having a keeper who would get quick off his line, make himself big, you know, get way out in the box and and make um, make finishing difficult for uh, for opposing attackers and he's just not that player and you know you the the the, the clearest um, um, example of that that pops into my mind is uh, what is it like three games ago you know when um, when that the the ball came over the top and um, it was a Volader who missed the the header and yeah against um, New yeah, England yeah and he didn't you know uh, that you know Two years ago, three years ago, Amelia is right there. Like that ball hits the ground, and he's there. Um, if nothing else, to to make the attackers' decisions complicated, um, and and he he was like just stuck on his line. And Gustavo um, Bow had a simple finish from that point yeah, because yeah, totally. of it. And you're yeah. right; like he's just he's just late getting out there. And I don't like this is the part that, and I, again, I don't want to. Um, let me explain. Let me try to explain this as best I can. I don't know that Melia is making decisions any later than he used to. I just don't know that his body is reacting at the same speed that it used to when he when he makes those decisions. And this is just an inevitability with getting old. Um, Cody and I are much older than Tim Melia, and we know what our bodies feel like just getting up in the morning. I can't imagine. I mean, but the, so like, I, I, I still and, try. I still try and play soccer with my teams. And let me tell you, when you get to the point where like you see a ball coming and you know like what you need to do to to like get that have, ball in the control, but you have no way of getting there. Your no body way. is just like nope. Not not gonna do that, and you just watch the ball go by. Like that kind of stuff is demoralizing, man. Well, <laughs> and, and the thing and the thing about Timmy is, is like I don't think it's like he's fallen off a cliff in this regard. I just think that he's lost, you know, a, a fraction of a second. Well, and that and that has come with you know a downtrend in the defense uh, at the same time. So those two things have have coincided, which makes it which might make it seem uh, worse than it is. You know, but the other thing is that is that just in ter- terms of you know all of the other things that that goalkeepers do. I mean, I don't think I'll, I don't think a lot of that things a lot of those things were ever. Amelia's like strongest point. Like he was okay with his feet, but he's not great at distributing. You know, he has a decent command of his box, you know, but he's not wonderful at it. I mean, he's just, you know, like the one thing that he did really well was just come out and stone people, you know, who were on the break. And he was and, he's an exceptionally good athlete that could yeah. react, read he was smart and could read situations, and he was athletic and strong enough to react to them 
and make and and create problems for the attacking players in those situations. And I don't think that the brain is gone. I just think yeah. that, the, that the that the body doesn't react quite as well as now, it used to. He, he would definitely have saved uh, that Hani Mukhtar uh, penalty, just so we're clear. Yeah, well, so we're going to no talk question. about that in a minute. We're gonna, because <laughs> this is one of my favorite Roger Espinosa moments of all time. But um, he 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 probably would have. Because remember when Mukhtar against us at home tried to chip him and he just stood there? <laughs> he just stood there and caught it. Yeah, that was good. <laughs> uh, he is, but that's what I'm saying is like his ability to read the attacking player and what they're doing is exceptionally good. That's why he's you know, arguably the best penalty stopper in MLS history. Like, yeah. I mean, Romando's got a larger, um, you know, he's got a larger resume, but Melia's probably got a higher, he's got a, he's got a better percentage. Right. And it's just, I, I think that if um, it, it's just one of those things where his ability to read attackers and what they're doing is extremely good. He just seems just like this fraction later than he yeah. has been in the past. And the problem is when that's your God mode sort of capability to being a good goalkeeper, losing that fraction can be really detrimental to your performance when you don't have all the other stuff. Let's be honest. There's a reason he was at Chivas USA and then in the pool when he came to sporting. And it's because he didn't have all of these other goalkeeper traits and capabilities that we're mm -hmm. used to seeing. Yep. And he couldn't rely on that kind of stuff. That's why he's not Stefan Fry. Right. It's because he doesn't have those capabilities, you know, in his in his DNA. But what he does have is an exceptionally good read of the game and he is a workout animal. So he is capable of using his athleticism and his understanding of the game to his advantage. Athleticism only goes so far when you're 36 years old. And I think that that's just something we're starting to see right now. And I got to be honest, you've got a guy behind you who is another athletic animal and is 21 years old. And Pulse Camp had <laughs> a bit of a whiff last night. Um, it was funny. I was talking to you about it. I It looked a little bit like he was like doing a little step over dummy. No, it was a straight whiff. And the reason I know it is because, again, I was humble brag. I was sitting next to the bench, and I saw like three of the players look at each other and laugh when he did it. And now when you're up six, nothing, you can get away with laughing in those circumstances or five, nothing, whatever they were when it happened. But um, yeah, it was a bit of a bit of a faux pas, but I mean, there was nobody were, around were, him. Were the veins in Peter's temples like popping out. So right? this is the funniest <laughs> thing about it. Peter was super crazy, angry soccer dad on the sideline for most of the game, as he usually is until about like the 63rd minute when he made like the triple sub when they were up for nothing. And he was like, okay, bring on the subs. And then he's like, he's like jaw jacking with Johnny during the game half the time. Johnny, I, the thing that's interesting is that Johnny is obviously like he's almost like the fourth coach of the team. Yep. Like when yeah. he came on and sat on the bench, he sits he sits right behind Peter and Z or behind Carrie and Z, and they're talking and Peter's talking and they're like getting a download of what happened in the game. And he's really interacting with them, which. As a cat, it's good to see him interacting in that way. Absolutely. But they were also telling jokes between each other. Peter was laughing with guys. Like, I've never seen him do this on the sideline ever. So it was good to see all of them get some joy out of a game because it's been a while since they've been able to, <laughs> you know, feel some joy about it. But yeah, when when Pulse Camp did his, 
I, he made it. He he sold it well, like it was some sort of step over. Mm-hmm. It was a whiff. He straight he, whiffed. He tricked me. <laughs> he straight whiffed. Um, but it's it was fine. There was nobody around him. Like it wasn't like it was a big deal. Um, but Pulse Camp, I think, is the heir apparent goalkeeper for this yeah. team. And um, we got to see him a little bit at the beginning of last year, um, and he played pretty well. I mean, he's raw, but he played pretty well. He's a little erratic in his stuff, but he does possess the ability to get out there and get after guys. Um, and yeah, the I punch, just wonder the, the, the punched clearance he had last night. Um, oh yeah, against Omaha, it was it was a nice play. Yeah, yeah. And he and he had that save at the very beginning of the play too. Uh, so that game. that's that's the other thing that Mike brought up that I thought is interesting is that I haven't. I haven't watched enough video to say that this is true or not, but anecdotally, it sounds accurate. Melia's giving up bad rebounds. Yeah, which he's putting he, the ball right in front. Yeah, yeah, and that and, and and that is also like the the whole Akeloba goal is a bad rebound. Yeah, I mean, I'm not putting that on Melia. It's a terrible pass by Cam Duke to put him in a bad position yeah. in the first place, but. He the rebound he gave up was in a really bad spot, and then he's also again. If you watch that play, he is two fingertips late at getting on Akilova's ball as well. He yeah. comes out and he literally like touches the end of his gloves as it goes yeah. by. Well, and, he hits that. He hits the ball while he's while he's going down, right? Yeah, the the first ball, and so so then you know. He he's got to then land and try and then get back up uh, to get the second ball, and it's just uh, it's just it's just too much. And and you know, like uh, you know, I think uh, I think um, I think someone said uh, that you know t- you know Timilia you know five years ago just catches that ball, right? It's not mm-hmm. it's not even a rebounded ball, and you know that's he smothers it. Yeah, he yeah, smothers, he smothers it. it, and and that's that. You know, how many times have we seen that? Uh, quite a bit. You know, where it's just like just engulfs it, and and that's that. Um, and so you, you either have to do that, or you have to parry it. You know, outside of the goal or up over the top, and um, you know those things. Those things have never been you know a big part of his game. Um, you know, parrying balls out uh, out of bounds. He's not. You know, he. But that, that's the point, right, is because usually in the past, his athleticism got him to a place where he could smother that. He yeah. was far enough in front of the shot that he could get his body on it. Now he's a foot shorter on that, and he has to stretch out his hands. Yeah. And at which point he's got to have that technique to push the ball away. And I he, that's not something he's historically had. So that that's what I'm talking about is, like, I don't think that it's necessarily, like, some drastic thing that has happened. I just think that father time is undefeated and you're starting to see it happen. And yeah. I don't no, know what I, to I, say. I don't, I, 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 I like, I'm not asking for Timmy not to play, but I'm also thinking maybe we need some to see Pulse camp more often than just open cup matches. Yeah. I, I mean, I agree. You know, I, um, I think it was visible from the beginning of the season. In fact, I think I mentioned it, you know, uh, in like maybe the third game or something like that after the third game and that, that, you know, he, he looked pretty shaky out there. So, um, you know, I don't know. I mean, I, I still don't think he's like, you know, he's not playing badly enough to, to warrant, you know, taking him off, but, um, but, you know, transitioning from, you know, one goalkeeper to another is a really difficult thing to do, you know? And I, and I think that because it's such a, like a, a you know, a confidence based uh, um, 
um, position, you know, um, you don't want somebody out there who's, you know, low on confidence. And so, you know, if you're, if you're, you know, trying to like split time, uh, you know, I don't, I don't know how that works. And so, you know, that's, you know, I don't know what his contract situation is, but, um, you know, I think it's worth taking a look at. And, and I think the, the, and I, you know, at some point you just have to move on. And, you know, we know that that is not, <laughs> this is not Burmese's best, uh, um, you know, he, he has difficult, a difficult time doing that with some of his players. And so I think it's, it's a situation worth keeping an eye on for sure. I don't believe Timmy is signed through this year. Well, there you go. The last, the last um, contract news I can find is that he signed uh, a deal in 2020 through this season. Um, and then in May, they gave um, Pulse Camp a big extension. Yeah. So... So there you go. I mean, like read that. Said. Read into that what you will. I don't. I. I don't think that they're not going to re-sign Tim Melia, but he is, you know, a half million dollar a year goalkeeper. Yeah. And so you're not, you know, do you see if he'll take less? Do you sign him to another year of the same salary? You know, I mean, I. I think it's going to be one year deals for him, just like Raj and uh, and Zusi. Let's talk about Zusi because. Zussi's on a one plus one, and I'm. You can be damn sure they're going to activate that option at the end of this year, right? Like, I, I, I mean, guys, sure he can play. He can play here as long as he wants to. The yeah. guy's ageless, man. Yeah. I don't understand. I mean, yeah, he gets beat for speed. Well, not for speed, for quickness. He's actually a pretty fast player at top speed, as we talked about last week. But he gets beat for you know quickness sometimes. But dude, he's such a cheat code at right back in the attack. That like I don't know how you take him off the field. I, I liked watching Pierre last night, but I don't think Pierre's an additive player over Zussi. Um, I uh, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I think he could be. He could be. Um, you, you need know, to play him on, more. Yeah. Well, well, and if he was used, you know, yeah, he, depending on how he was used, absolutely. Uh, you know, because Zussi's not. You know, Zussi's not making runs, you know, overlapping runs into the final third uh, anymore, um, and um, and that's okay. I mean, he doesn't have to to be uh, to be effective. And so, um, you know, I, I don't know. I mean, I I think that uh, I think he's definitely a valuable uh, piece to have on the field. I know, like you know, as as I've shared, uh, my preference would be for him to be you know just a uh, you know a utility sub who can play any and like like I said, on, on any of the lines. Um, but, um, you know, I, I'm, I'm okay with him playing at, uh, at right back. Um, you know, just, just, you know, everybody needs to realize that like, you know, like every, you know, like you said, soccer is dominoes and every, every decision you make has like, you know, rippling effects. And so, you know, if you, if you play him as your right back, you know, you, you definitely have to, you know, cover for that lack of sort of, you know, speed and athleticism. You have to make sure that he's, you know, paired, um, he, that, that, that the game plan takes that into account and that you play him around people uh, who can help sort of cover for the deficiencies that he has while still uh, allowing him to be effective. And, 
you know, I think to this point, I think Peter Vermes has done a really great job. And I think Zeus, he deserves like the most credit. I mean, uh, I thought on two seasons ago, I think I thought he was pretty cooked um, and and um, and really not worth re-signing. But these last two seasons, he's been really, really fantastic. And, um, you know, I, I mean, I love the dude. He's he's a legend, you know. I mean, his name's going on the wall at some point. There's yeah. no doubt oh, about it. Like, no, no ifs, ands, or buts. But the thing that's interesting is that he's like he's a very he's a fairly productive fullback mm-hmm. by MLS standards. Like, if you compare him, even uh, still, yeah, yeah, even still, like obviously his passing is you know going to always be at the top of the fullbacks in the league just because we you know he's so good at it. But um, he's got progressive carries. His carries are really good. I mean, like Mike Mike McGrew put this put his like FB ref comparison chart up on Twitter this week, and it's a whole lot of green to bright green. Um, the only pressures and tackles are where he's not, you know, his defensive interactions are not as good, but interceptions, blocks, clearances, all of those are sixty yeah. to seventieth percentile. So it's not like he's bad. No, as a, as and honestly tackles by a fullback that's not this the system doesn't want fullbacks to be making tackles so he's not going to be trying to ball pressuring it's not something you expect from the fullbacks in this system it's coming from the eights so you're not going to see that in any in any event so it's one of those things where like he's playing the position pretty well and obviously against Nashville, you know, not only did he have the wonder goal, he played the position exceptionally well in that game. Yeah. So I just, it's one of those things where I think it's okay that Zussi sticks around. I don't know how he's still doing this. Like he's going to be 36 at the end of the year. And he does not look like the 36 year old that Tamelia does or like the 36 year old that Roger does. (laughs) Like the dude is unreal, man. I don't know. Is it the same? He doesn't have. You know what? He doesn't have kids. That's what the. Oh. <laughs> well, neither does Raj. Raj doesn't have kids. I mean, yeah, but Roger, you know, yeah, Roger's covered the entire field for so many years. You that's know? true. That's true. I mean, but, and, and also, but that's the thing you talked about. It's like he's, he's not the overlapping fullback. But that was the thing I wanted to talk about. What was really interesting to me when watching both of these games is that against Nashville, they in possession would tuck their three, their back line of three, where Zusi would tuck in along the center backs, and that would be sort of their back line of three in possession. And he would he would move up when available, right? And obviously he did on the goal, but for the most part in possession, he's not overlapping. He's sort of setting back with the the, the center backs. Um, what was interesting to me is that when they played against Omaha and Pierre was playing right back. Sweat played left back and he was the one that tucked in along the line of the center backs at that point. And Pierre was high the whole time. So it was interesting to see that dynamic shift where you had um, against Nashville, you had in Denbay on the left. So he was given free license to roam high. And then against Omaha, when you had Pierre on the right, he was the one given license to roam high and sweat was the one dragging back. Um, I will say that I, I don't I don't really care for Ben Sweat. I he's I don't even know that it's that that's a comparison between him and uh and Denbe at this point. Like I I'm not sure that it's even close. Um other than his ability to get forward and deliver a ball from wide. That's the only thing that Sweat, Sweat has he is an exceptional player at delivering a ball from wide. Other than that, I 
I could, you know, I'm not really that excited about him playing. And he was pretty inconsistent with his touch against Omaha. And that would have been, I, in my opinion, I think that would have been a problem against a better opponent. So. Yeah, I agree. It was just what it, what it was. Um, okay. So, so the question is, is Graham Zussi going to be DeMarcus Beasley for us and just playing, you know, until he's like 40? Probably. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> DMB played for Houston, what, to, yeah. I'm 38, something like that, I feel like. And he was playing regularly for them. Yeah. And he wasn't I mean, bad. He wasn't like bad. Like I said, I, I think Zussi can play as long as he wants. I mean, you know, he's just – he's a legend. He's beloved in the town. He's definitely – you know, he's yeah, – Vermes loves him. He – He's just great, you know. There's the, I mean, what more can you say about the guy? If he had a little bit more of an extroverted personality, he would be, you know, I mean, he could be Travis Kelsey in this town or, you know, something somewhat like that, or Johnny Russell, for instance. But he, that's not him, man. He is, uh, he's low key and, um, and Super honestly, quiet. that's one of, one of the things a- I like about him. So, He's a genuinely like really good dude when you talk to him, like just super laid back, really good dude. But yeah, he's very quiet. You like have to talk to him. Um, see, and the thing is, is like I know how much you get on Benny Failhaber as being a handsome man. Graham Zeus, he's, 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 he's a pretty handsome man. Um, he's definitely my wife's favorite <laughs> player by a wide All margin. Right. By a wide margin. It's not close. Um, so, and she actually got to talk to him uh, in the field club after. So that was, oh, yeah. that's good. Yeah. Uh, she had, she's known him for a little bit. Um, she used to do different stuff with the club back in the day. So she's known him for a little bit, but yeah, it was, it was good that they got to, that she got to talk to him. So, um, what are we missing? So this is the one thing I did want to cover before we get into the shit housing in the national game, which I thought was fantastic. Um, Kyrie, did you notice against Omaha? He was dropping back a lot. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He was really dropping back in the midfield. You can see it in the passing map and the average positioning. He was definitely – this is something that they promised us was going to happen in January, was that Kyrie was going to drop back and combine, and we haven't really seen it at all. Maybe he just has to play against third-division opponents to be able to do it. I don't know what to take from this situation, but it looked good when he did it. Um, he's obviously not making runs into the box in any – progressive manner so maybe this is a good way to add to the midfield when you need it to be able to release players and that was what he was doing he was actually pretty good in that in those scenarios he's actually a decent dribbler he can dribble around people so i feel like you know maybe this is a better use of his skills because it's i mean the goal he scored notwithstanding i'm going to call that a you know a statistical variance situation um he, so so that's that's not a goal he has shown he can score against MLS center backs. Oh, he dominated and, that center back. Like it, you money. you texted me during the game and you were like, "Hey, <laughs> I want to see him dominate these center backs." And I'm like, "When does he ever dominate center backs?" Yeah. Um he did dominate the center back on that play, but that guy looked like, you know, he looked like Sesanovic playing center back. Like I it wasn't like yeah. a dude that you would expect to provide a physical you know, if that's Walker Zimmerman, 
no chance that happens. No. I mean, honestly, and and uh, I don't think very many other starting uh, MLS center backs, and that's one of my complaints, is that you know he gets muscled off the ball uh, pretty easily in those kinds of circumstances, um, and for some reason is not doesn't seem to be able to to have the speed to to help compensate. I do think, however, like uh, his assist that that should be a replicable. Uh, thing right I mean he should be able to make that run and have that ball and put that ball in that spot against MLS teams um, and you know I really think that that we need to see more of that you know one of the things when we talk about you know the passing maps is that um, he definitely like like he is not ever in 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 sort of zone 14 right that you know that zone you know sort of in the D at the top of the box um, he is almost always like his passing is um in combinations well uh his passing in the final third actually is uh, almost always to the sidelines he is he is you know basically being a wall for fullbacks and uh and uh wingers to pass off of uh and then continue on right so he's engaging in combinations uh on the wings but not much action at all going um you know in the box itself um which you know i mean you gotta you, you gotta use him at what he can do right and if that's something that he can do then 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 that's what you do and and um you know it just it's just a matter of whether the team can can find success uh with that on a regular basis against uh mls teams i think you you hit the nail on the head at the end there like you the reality of the situation is Kyrie is going to be the center forward for a while even if Agata gets here on July 7th, which is the earliest he can be here. He's a 22-year-old Nigerian striker who's been going back and forth between the first and second Israeli division. We have to be realistic about the expectation of how much impact this guy can have immediately. It's going to be small. And we know how much Peter prefers Kyrie and what he does. So the reality of the situation is more like, how do we enable Kyrie to help this team be successful in attack. And I think that was the part that you talked about that was most interesting to me. That run to the outside of the box where he's coming from deep and he's blowing by a guy as Johnny releases the pass is absolutely something that he can replicate. He He's very good in those kinds of areas because there he's wide and he's sort of making an incisive run. And that seems to be something he understands. Being in the middle of the field and trying to drag off a center back is not something he understands. We, we've seen it too many times. Um, yeah. in tw- Here's the thing that I would ask about uh, about this, because we talk about this a lot, like putting, putting players in positions to succeed and be additive to the success of the team as a whole, right? Like their play helps the team succeed. I believe in 2018, while he was not pre- he was not creating goals or assists, he was an additive player to the team. And I'm trying to think like, and I, I don't know, do I have to go watch these games again, but why what he's doing now is so different or not additive? Is it? I, I, I don't, I don't know for sure. Uh, and I would have to definitely watch the games, but I, uh, my, I suspect that um, other teams just 
you know watch film and know they know how to neutralize him and they also realize that you know you don't have to worry about him scoring i mean i mean it's just like you don't have to worry about it honestly what you know <laughs> what's that was going to be my question do the do, were two center backs coming on him when he'd received the ball at the top of the box in the past and that would allow him to release versus now they're like we don't need to put two center backs on this guy there's no yeah. need for it um, yeah, I think that's what it is. Yeah. Okay. I mean, that would be that would make sense. So, to your point, how do we get? Maybe the the forward line needs to be more fluid, right? We've seen so, Johnny. So, we've seen Johnny play the nine. We've seen Shallowy play the nine. If we could do, if we could Man City the line a little bit more to where those guys just find space and run, that could be a little bit more react. If you're, you're if you're playing effectively three wingers, which is what they're doing then do something that allows it. Or you, as you've said to me, there's a world in which Daniel Shallowy is a great striker because his, his instincts for running to the post in the right place are really good. I don't think it's, I don't think it's in this system. Um, but I, I think that the answer is, you know, is something that um, I've kind of wanted to see a lot from this team going back probably, I don't know, 10 years um, is, um, is some more in uh, more direct engagement um, of the eights in the attack, like inside of the box. And I think, you know, especially if you, uh, especially if you play uh, the midfield that's played the last couple of games, um, I think that you have the ability to do that because you have, you know, uh, Voltaire who can, uh, who can cover um, and you have uh, two young, uh, fast, ground covering uh, eights who both um, are capable of getting in the box and adding to the attack. Um, and it's been a long time since we've had two players who could do that. Right. I mean, you know, we had, we're sure we had Benny and, and Raj, uh, but Raj was never, um, um, he was, he was never that player. Um, so I, I can't think of a time when we've had two, uh, two eights that were actually a threat uh, to score. Um, and I think if you're, if you're eight and your wingers are all four of those are, are goal threats. Um, maybe you, maybe you don't need your center forward to be a goal threat. That's true. And then both of those eights are also athletic enough and young enough and have enough stamina to cover defensively. Yeah. yeah if a turnover happens, and also, they're going to get back. Yeah, you know, I, also you have Kyrie covering defensively too. And sure, that's one thing he does. He does do. I mean, you know, he is a very like, defensively responsible player. Yeah. I will absolutely agree with that completely. Um, okay, I mean, I I don't. Uh, the the main thing I was trying to get out of that is, is seeing Kyrie drop back um, was a new thing for me, and I don't know if that was new for this game or he just found space there against Omaha. I don't know what it was, but it I didn't hate it. Let me put it that way. Well, so you know, that's one thing with the the four two 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 is that you know you you just, they just leave a whole bunch of space open there, you know. Okay. So I I mean, you, you know, I would love it if it was something that we would see more often, but I doubt very much you'll see that at all uh, with Seattle. I I would imagine that Seattle they just play a you know four one four one kind of more of that kind of shape and and stick Kyrie up top and. Um, uh, oh, against Seattle, they'd be 4 one yeah. No, but Seattle's not going to be in a 4-2-2-2, though. Seattle will be in a 4 2 3 one Seattle will be in a 4 2 3 one Okay. Yeah. But, but as they've shown between um, 
Obed Vargas and Albert Rusnak, they have very good cover in the midfield. So I don't think Ky- you're, you're probably right. Kyrie's not going to find that much space to get on the ball there. So that makes sense. Um, just real quick. I, I watched this live and like was mouth agape when it happened. Daniel Shallowy's goal. Like <laughs> he was like Shang Tsung stealing souls. Like your soul is mine. Like I, I felt bad for the Union Omaha guys because they're already getting thrashed at this point. It was like four nothing already at this point. And then, or maybe it was was this the third goal? Or, or uh, maybe it was the fourth goal. I, anyway, there were because Fleet Bay scored the last two, so it was the fourth goal. They're down three nothing, and things aren't going great. And man, like DS twenty was back in open nice. cup mode, dude. He it yeah. was nice. I. I you let me let me put it this way. You watched it live. Like, did you did you like go oh when this was happening? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, I'm looking around around me. Um, <laughs> a bunch of the uh, where where the, where the seats are at. Like again, I'm not trying to humble brag, but where the seats are at, a bunch of the bunch of the the support staff and whatnot are around me. Sammy, the kit man, Kai, sit man. I cannot speak right now. Kitman sidekick Sammy is running around giving everybody hugs. Like it was, <laughs> everybody was like, "Oh, okay." Um, it was, it was pretty crazy. That was. I'm not going to forget great. that goal and, for a while. You know, he needs to. I mean, that's good. Like that kind of, you know, that kind of goal is a is definitely a a confidence booster. And you know, I mean, he hasn't been playing badly at all. I don't think. Uh, but you know strikers or uh or attackers they need all the confidence they can get and so shovel it on man i just want him feeling all the sauce man i really do i just i i want him to to take people on every single game he's i think really benefited from his friendship with johnny over the last like year because johnny would absolutely do that to somebody like that's his that's 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 his cheat code is setting defenders down or eliminating them and then finding that finding that far post goal around the goalkeeper. That's mm-hmm. a Johnny Russell move that he pulled off. And I think that playing with Johnny is and Johnny being the captain, I'm sure he's pushing Daniel to do that stuff and it's helped. Yeah, those guys, so, those guys have a good uh, have a good rapport, I think. Extremely good rapport. They're good friends. I to your point, if Shallow is playing for another MLS team next year, I'm gonna oof. I can't even believe you put that in the universe because now I'm dreading it. And I'm just like, <laughs> Jesus Christ. Um, then, you know, right. I, I can handle him moving overseas, man. But seriously, if I have to watch him, if I have to watch him show up here and play for freaking Seattle or, or LAFC or LAFC, I, I will lose it, man. I really will. I, because I what's going to happen is they'll sell, Bri- they'll sell Brian Rodriguez and bring shallowy in. Yeah. Yeah. And then he'll he'll probably be a golden boot player for them. Ridiculous. Yeah. yeah. Even, even yeah. Like Let's said, just not even talk about this. Let's just not even right, talk about this. The right in the right system, he could be he could easily be a you know twenty five goal scorer uh, uh, um, striker in my opinion. And so um, you know, I, I hope that that doesn't work against us. Yeah, me That's too. All I'm saying. Me too. Okay. Um, let's get away from those bad feelings and that, that bad juju. Um, let's talk about the end of the Nashville game, which was part of my, like, I was the most excited about, um, with the way that the team dealt with it. 
we've talked about this over and over again, that there's not enough like tactical fouling. There's not enough just really like managing a game to the end kind of stuff happening. In the last 10 minutes of that Nashville game, all of the shithousing, just all of it. Like Melia getting a time-wasting yellow. Have you ever seen Melia get a time-wasting yellow ever? It's um, been a long time. Yeah, it's, it's been it's, a long time. It, I don't know that I've seen him get one. Maybe he has, and this is where Mike Coon will probably find a stat to redeem himself after missing out on Polito's uh, green card. Um, but no, but seriously, like it's one of those deals where I just the whole team they were they were getting yellow cards late. They had they had zero yellow cards until like the 80th minute, and then all of a sudden, Melia gets the time wasting one. There was a couple other ones, and then the shit housing of the shit of the shit housing was Roger Espinoza with the um, the penalty shout right. So. In fairness, Ndenbe did foul the guy. Like, that was def. I mean, and the one thing I will take this, I watched this replay a couple times. As soon as the penalty gets called, Zussi goes running by just furious with Ndenbe. Furious. Like, you don't see Zussi get this animated that often, but he was just furious with him. He's like, there's no reason you need to make this foul. And he's right. There was no reason that he needed to make that foul. He had defensive cover behind him. And he just dove in on the guy for no reason. Um, but Zeus, he's furious about the whole deal. But anyway, the whole situation was CJ Sapong was offside when in the buildup for it. And then he ends up getting, you know, getting getting a part of the goal or getting a part of the whole situation that creates the, the penalty. And um, I don't know why they didn't see it right away, but you cannot tell me that they weren't about to give him that penalty because they had like Mutar was there he set the ball down he had it in his spot all that stuff they were like jose rivas was about to they was about to like whistle him to take the penalty and then raj <laughs> does the most raj thing of all time dude because i this is why i love this man i will love this man forever like build the statue to him as far as i'm concerned like he <laughs> he comes out to try and mess with the ball saying it's not on the spot and it is like just <laughs> The greatest thing I've ever seen, uh, not ever seen, but I'm uh, being hyperbolic, but it was just great. It was so Raj for him to do something like this. And this, the, you, let me ask you a question. If Raj starts and plays 90 in this game, do you think he does this? Uh, I didn't even think of that. I don't know. Probably not. He's probably gassed out, not paying attention, right? But Raj is yeah. Raj has only been in the game for 10 minutes. So he's like, no, fuck you. Your ball's not in the right spot. I'm gonna be an, I'm gonna be an annoying pest. And he does that. And then next thing you know, Rivas goes to the monitor, finds the offside. And um, because I don't know. I'm trying to think of the MLS bar rules because someone was asking, it's like, don't you think he would have got called to, to review it anyway? And I'm not sure he would have. And if Mukhtar scores the penalty, I think that's it. Like you can't review it at that point. Right. Yeah. So I, that's the part that I found interesting. I mean, it was just, it was just a brilliant, like it was such a Roger Espinosa thing to do. It was great. <laughs> it I, was lo I love that dude so much, man. <laughs> He's just pointing in the ball. He's not wrong, by the way. The ball is not on the spot. He was absolutely right. 
Yeah, but how many times? How many times have you seen players complain about that? Well, well the the, the best part that. is, is Mutar picks up, sets it back down in exactly the same spot, <laughs> right? Like it's not like he actually moved it from where it was. Um, but yeah, it was just that extra delay, and I'll I'll, I'll remember that forever. It's just. Yeah. This is great. You never see guys doing stuff like that. And that's the stuff that we've been talking about for a while. We want to see these guys doing the gamesmanship stuff, tactical fouling, doing the things that that help you win games. Listen, we're going to play Seattle on Saturday. They absolutely do all of these things. Yeah, they do. More more than one player does them. Like they, well, yeah, they all they, do them. <laughs> they all do it. They all, but, but that's part they're, of the game. They're kings of Concacaf, man. <laughs> they, they, you yeah, don't, they don't get they to won. be a king of Concacaf without Concacafing. You don't win CCL without knowing how to get through a game. It's just the way that it works. And so, I, I just wish the team would do that. That's the one thing about all the young players and some of them being from overseas. They don't necessarily have this in them. And that's why I love Raj just breaking it up. Like Raj played for Honduras for how many, you know, 15 years. Like he knows, he knows how to do this stuff. Um, so speaking of the Seattle preview, um, as we mentioned at the top of the podcast, probably I would temper your expectations of what we might see. Um, Seattle is a very good team. I don't know if Rudy Diaz is going to play. He did not play against LAFC. He was scratched for that game. I don't know what the injury was. Uh, he had played in the previous game and scored goals. So um, he was on team of the week because of it. So I don't know what his status is. I tried to search Twitter and the different Sounders blogs about it, and I didn't see anything today about whether or not he was available. Um, I did see Xavier Arriaga was practicing, so he might be back or might be available at least. Um, but that's a center back versus a center forward. Um, this team will test that midfield three very much. Um, Rusnak, Lodero, and even Obed Vargas instead of Joao Paulo, they are a very good team through the middle. Um, and they're a hard team to get through the middle. Now, that said... Sporting has been playing wide. Maybe that will allow them to surpass, you know, bypass it. Um, the wingbacks, I'm, I'm trying to think of who's been playing. Is it is it new who that's been playing mostly left wingback? Uh, I believe so, yeah. yeah. Uh, by the way, and Alex um, rolled on on the right side. Rui Diaz, uh, Rui Diaz uh, has a, um, a hamstring pull. So out and, or and doubtful? Six, six days ago, so last Friday. Um, they said he was going to be out for a couple of games. So uh, a week ago, uh, a hamstring pull, I would say uh, it's probably doubtful that he would be. Which is good. I mean, but that means we're going to see yeah. Freddie Montero, and Freddie Montero is no joke. Like, he's not some – let me you know, talk about a guy that does make that near post run. It's absolutely Freddie Montero. So yeah. um, he's he's not Raul Rudiaz, who is Cody's favorite player in MLS. Man, I love him so much. I, he's just the best. And the thing is, is Joao Paulo is probably my favorite player. Now. You know what? So, so, so part part of the reason I think I like him is is um, when I was a young youngster, I was my family was big into 4-H. We, we lived like in city limits, but we had like goats and chickens and all kind of crap. We were, I mean, we were way ahead of our times. Like my parents weren't hipsters. We were like FFA 4-H people, um, back in the day. And, uh, and so, uh, I had, uh, I had bantams, which is a kind of a, a small chicken. Um, 
really beautiful, um, really uh, cool looking, um, and super aggressive. <laughs> Just like the, they're tiny; they're a lot smaller than a regular chicken. And um, and when they uh, um, when they you know, are protecting their nest, for instance, they are just wicked. And uh, I don't know, Rudy Diaz just reminds me of that. He's this little tiny dude, but he is just, uh, he is just wicked all the time. And he's such a dangerous player. And, you know, you, he just pops up in all kinds of dangerous places. And he's constantly uh, a pest. He's constantly a problem. And, you know, for, uh, for a player, you know, I mean, he, 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 even though he's small, like he's not like super fast, you know, he's not, he's not like the most technical player. He's just really good at what he does. You know, he just scores goals all the time. And, um, and I, I love him, man. He's great. So the thing that's interesting to me, because it's something that Doyle brought up in his uh, breakdown uh, this weekend, and it's something I've been aware of. Have you noticed that there's a number of players that play for Seattle that are much better for Seattle than they are for their national team? They're just, hmm. I, I think that there's something and this is stuff we've talked about over and over again, and I'm not going to spend the entire we've got we've been going almost an hour and 40 minutes, so I'm not going to push it any further than that. But Seattle is an exceptionally well put together team and an exceptionally well coached team. And we have a lot of respect for them because of how they do their business and how they put their team together. You couldn't have told me when they signed Albert Rusnak that they were going to put him in a double pivot and it was going to be useful. Like that guy was yeah, a 10. I, I would have thought that was a ridiculous. Ridiculous idea, and it's been really good. They've been very successful doing that. And Raul Ruiz is a marquee center forward in MLS for Seattle, and he has not had that impact at Peru. Yeah. Um, Christian Roldan, as a right winger for Seattle, is a very, very good additive player for this team. You would say that he's just as good as Paul Ariola is, in Dallas and DC before that. And Roldan is not anywhere near that quality with the national team where Ariola Ariola is not a starter for the national team, but he's probably going to the world cup and Roldan probably not. Maybe he does, I but no, I think he'll go. I mean, I don't know, but he's yeah, on the fringes. Yeah, yeah. He's like, yeah. you're not, you're not expecting him to play significant minutes where Ariola right. probably will. Um, and that's what I'm saying is like, it's just Jordan Morris. So one of Roldan or Jordan Morris, if not both of them are going to the World Cup and both of them are great for Seattle. So it's just, it it shows how good they are at putting a team together and making them work together and making them functional and good in that circumstance. Um, and- well, well, I think I think one of the things that, I think one of the things they do really well, you know, cause Smetzer's not like, he's not like a big system guy and, you know, he's, he's not like Peter Vermes in that respect, in that respect. He is I, a little I, bit, he is a little I bit because the differences between their four, two, three, one and their three, four, uh, their three, four, uh, two, one are not that different. They're not that significant. So, so, so he still has, I'm not saying he doesn't have like patterns of play and that sort of thing. Cause he does, but what, but one of the things he does really, really well is he he just puts players 
um, in that position to succeed that we always talk about, right? He he finds a way to to really maximize uh, a player's strengths and minimize their weakness, and then fit all of those pieces together um, into um, um, into a whole. Um, and and it makes you know it makes it possible you know it just like all great sports teams, right? Uh, it makes it possible to have a team that is more than the sum of its parts, and that's um, uh, and that's what Seattle is, and they're that way consistently. And you know I think it's kind of like you know it's kind of like a middle ground between um you know someone like Vermes and someone like Bruce right like you got Bruce just kind of says you know um you know he kind of just lets players do their thing um especially in in the attack and I don't think that Smetzer does that uh, but I do think that Smetzer pays um I don't know I feel like he pays more attention to um to um the individual qualities of players uh, and how he can tweak his system to fit what what they do best, um, rather than than vice versa. I would agree with that completely. And and again, we've professed our you know respect for Seattle and how they do things a number of times, and it's not meant to just be like you know pining for them or carrying water for them. It's just, they're a good team and they're probably yeah. one of the best sports franchises in the United States, honestly, yeah. about how they're running, how they do things. So um, it will be a tough test. They are the Kings of CONCACAF, as you noted, um, and they're rolling into form themselves. So, you know, uh, we should temper expectations. I'm glad that the team is playing very organized, positive soccer. The last couple times we've seen him come out, and even in the last six weeks, there's been a couple of losses in there just because during those losses, there were literally no attacking players on the roster available other than Johnny Russell. That is not the case this weekend, so hopefully that means that the team can be a little bit more successful, and we'll, we'll just have to see. I will like tell I you said, that- I, I expect the team to play very well. I mean, I you know the team generally plays well against Seattle, and, uh, and I think that um, I think that Peter. I think I don't think he, I don't think Peter has to do anything. I think the team will really be up for this, and um, and I expect a really strong showing from from them. Even if they um, even if they drop points, I think that they'll do really well. Yeah, I, I'm more looking at the performance than necessarily the result in this circumstance, yeah. and I just hope it doesn't include Uri Rossell in the starting lineup. That's just all I have to say. Um, from your from your uh, mouth to Peter's ears. That's yeah. What I guess. <laughs> all right. Um, the last thing I will say before we sign off, we did have the Open Cup draw. Kansas City will be going to Sacramento, so it'll be an away game for the semifinal, which means it's probably a really low probability that they get to host the final if they're away for the semifinal. But we'll have to see. Um, I didn't see the whole draw and see what the priority was for the final. But Sporting Kansas City heading to Sacramento for the semifinal and at least it's an opponent that you would expect them to have, you know, a talent advantage over. So yeah, we'll just have to see how that goes. Of course, the LA Galaxy thought the same thing at home earlier this week. Um, all right. We've been going an hour and 45 minutes. I think everyone's sick of hearing us talk. So I would say on that note, I'm Drew. He's Cody. We will talk to you all next week. Bye-bye. Start doing it. Start doing it. Start doing it.